morning, church. How are we doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, the front rows are uh, empty. It takes a certain type of person to sit in the front row, right? Like, um, well, I just want to let you know that my name is Kyle, and I, I'm, a, I'm privileged to be your pastor. And if you're a guest with us, what we like to do at this church is go through books of the Bible. And so if you have a curiosity about the Bible, if you're interested in who Jesus is, if you might even have some uh, some, some skeptical questions about God. I just want you to know you're welcome here and your questions are welcome here. And this is a great place to be because we're, we hope that by going through the Bible, some of those questions can be answered. And if you don't own a Bible, you can grab one of the ones that we set around the room and you're welcome to take that Bible home with you. Uh, we want you to have that as a gift. And if you're looking for a good place to start reading it, you can start reading in the, in the gospel of Luke. Okay, that would be a good place to start. So for today, we're in Romans chapter 6. So I want everybody to have a Bible open. I know you might have just stood for the reading without a Bible open. And if uh, you did that, make sure you grab one of the Bibles around you and open up to page 942, because we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. And uh, before we get into what it says here, let me just tell you about what's happening next week. Next week is Reformation Sunday, and we're going to be taking a break from the book of Romans, and we're going to be talking about the Reformation. Now, the Reformation was a time where a bunch of godly uh, men and women were reading their Bibles, and then they were looking at the, the church, the Roman Catholic Church, and they realized that there was a lot of Roman Catholic teachings that weren't in line with what the Bible says. And so they started what is called the Reformation. They said, we need to get back to what the Bible says. And they came up with five statements called the five solas of the Reformation, which were Latin statements that mean alone. And they, they're concerning how one can have relationship with God, how one can have salvation. And um, they're right up here on the wall. You can see them hanging. And the five solas are, are this, that we are saved by grace alone. You don't earn it. You're saved by grace alone. Uh, you're saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the authority of Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so next week, we're going to be having each one of our five pastors on Reformation Sunday, because it's the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. We're going to have each one of our five pastors preach a sermon on one of the solas of the Reformation. Not a full-length 40-minute sermon, because that would be a lot of that would be a lot of time, right? Listen to preaching. It would be awesome, but it would be a long time. We're gonna combine those into one sermon, and uh, we're also gonna be doing baptism on the day that day, and here's the reason why. It's a day of celebration, and those doctrines that you can know God by grace through Jesus, according to the scriptures, for God's glory, by faith. Those doctrines bring new life. And that's what baptism is. It's a picture of new life. And uh, it's where somebody says, I believe in Jesus. My sins have been washed away. And as they come out of the water, they say, I have a new life that is living to God. And so um, that's why we're doing baptisms next week. So you don't want to miss next week. Bring your friends. It's going to be awesome. This week, however, we're in Romans 6. And Romans 6 is also a passage about baptism. It's a, it's a passage about death and life. And the main verse for Romans 6 is verse 11. I want you to take a look at it with me. Um, and we're going to read this verse together. Now, Romans 6, 11 is the first command in the entire book of Romans. Can you believe that? It just goes to show, I mean, a lot of people think that the whole purpose of the Bible is to tell us what to do. But Paul has spent six chapters not telling us what to do, but explaining what God has done. 
And that is the basis of Christianity. Now he gets on what we're supposed to do. And here's what, it's really funny. What we're supposed to do is think about what God has done. (laughs) So look at uh, verse 11 with me. Let's read it together. Now, you guys really got to beat the nine in this. Okay, you did good a couple weeks ago. Let's read it out loud together. Use your outside voice, even though we're inside. Let's read it outside. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying to the church that's in Rome? He's saying, if you're a Christian, you need to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the main point of this section. Um, you notice that he brings up this idea of sin. Sin in, this, in these 14 verses is mentioned 10 times. So you think it's kind of a big deal. Like when you're telling a friend something, if you have to say it 10 times, you really mean it. And so Paul is really emphasizing this idea of sin. And he's saying we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. What is sin? Sin is whenever we look to something outside of God to be our good or our satisfaction. It's, it's, sin is whenever we look uh, for good and satisfaction elsewhere than God. That's what sin is. Sin is whenever we, sin, sin literally means missing the mark. So it's like God has given us a target and he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm your creator. This is how I created you to live. I want you to live according to this target. Obey these commands. And sin is when we say, how about we aim for a different target? How about we live life facing in a different direction than what you have intended for us? Sin is whenever we put God in the back seat and we put us in the driver's seat. That's what sin is. It's when we live life on our terms. And what does Paul say here for us? He says we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, let's break this down. So first of all, dead to sin. Romans 6.1, Paul asks a question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the reason Paul asks this question is because just before, in chapter 5, verse 20, in the paragraph right above, he shared the good news of the gospel of grace. The good news of the gospel of grace is this, is that when you trust in Jesus, all of your past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. They're all forgiven. He says in verse 20 that as your sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Like your sin is a drop in the ocean of God's grace. You will never be able to, if you're a Christian, you will never be able to out-sin God's forgiveness. Like there's never gonna be a time in heaven where God's like, well, that one is the straw that broke the camel's back. You're out. Like that's never gonna happen because when Jesus died on the cross, he was doing it for all your past, present, and future sins, Amen? amen? It's good news. Well, the natural question that we ask is, well, wait a second. If all my sins are forgiving, forgiven, and if God gets glory by forgiving me, man, does that mean I just get to keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? If God already paid so I don't have to go to hell, man, might as well live like hell, right? I mean, you know, right? I mean, if I'm forgiven, what, what does it matter if I continue in this sin that I love to do? I mean, we, 
We ask this question a lot, don't we? You've asked this question. I have asked this question. If I'm already forgiven, why does it matter? Well, look at how Paul responds to it. Verse two, he says, by no means. It's a very emphatic statement. It's hard to translate into English. This was written in Greek. It can be better translated, uh, may it never be. Not in a thousand lifetimes. Not on your sweet grandmother's life. As Nacho Libre would say, too crazy. <laughs> then he says in verse two, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now this is a question, but Paul is asking it in a way that is, he's meaning to make a statement. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You sometimes ask your kids a question in a way that you're trying to make a statement. How can you keep your room clean if you're always dropping clothes all over the floor? How can you expect to make money if you don't want to get a job? Amen? <laughs> how, how can, you know, uh, how, how can you expect to get good grades in school if you don't do your homework? You're making a statement by asking those questions. And Paul is making a statement by asking this question. How can we continue to live in sin if Jesus died uh, if, to, put our sin to, to, to put our sinful self to death? How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? That's the question he's asking. And here's what we need to understand. There's an important distinction Sin will always be alive and well and presenting itself as enticing to us, right? Like you don't have to like live 30 seconds to realize that. Sin is always gonna be tempting you. It's always alive and well. But as Christians, when Jesus died on the cross, you're so unified, unified, that's a new word right there. You're so unified with Jesus that you are dead to sin. You're dead to it. You're dead to sin. So Paul continues in verse three. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We who were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So he uses this word baptize. And this word baptize, the earliest place that we can find it in this language, which was Greek, is in 200 BC. And it was a guy named Nicander and it was in his recipe for making pickles. And he says, what you have to do is you have to take a vegetable and you have to baptize it into boiling water for a certain amount of time. And then you take it out and then you baptize it in some flavored vinegar. And then you have a pickle. And that was the idea. You have to submerse it so that it becomes one with the thing that it's submersed into. And, And Paul is saying here is that if you trust in Jesus, you've been submersed into the life and particularly the death of Jesus on the cross. So that when he was dying on the cross, he was putting your sinful self to death on the cross. You are dead to sin in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. What does it mean to be dead to sin? It means that your life is no longer characterized by sin. So your life is, if you trust in Jesus, your life is no longer characterized by you putting yourself in the driver's seat and God goes in the back seat. That doesn't characterize your life anymore. It means that you no longer have a love relationship with sin. If you guys know that sometimes in this world, relationships break. And when it gets really ugly, what was some, sometimes we say this to each other. We say, you're dead to me, right? You're dead to me. Well, when somebody says that, what they're saying is, you have no place in my life and I have no place in yours. We're separated. 
And what this is saying is that we're dead to sin, that when Jesus died on the cross, it means this. We look at sin in the face and say, I have no place in your life. And you have no place in mine. This relationship, this love relationship that we used to have, it's over, sin. I'm dead to sin. That's what we're saying. And and Paul says we've been baptized into this death. Now, we've been united into this death. Now, you might say, well, that's a morbid picture. (laughs) United into death? Why does Paul use this phrase, united in Jesus' death? I think it's for two reasons. One, he's trying to get us to think about the costliness of forgiveness. And then second, he's trying to get us to think about the finality of death. So first of all, the costliness of forgiveness. Um, Nobody who says, Jesus died for my sins? Yippee, I get to keep on doing whatever I want. Whoever says that doesn't understand how much it costs God to forgive us. We don't understand the costliness of forgiveness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an old theologian during World War II, called that cheap grace. He says it's grace that we want so that we can be blessed, but we don't want it to actually change our lives. But that's not what we see in the cross, is it? I mean, imagine if I was having an affair on my wife and I confessed it to her. And she was just crushed, brokenhearted. She took a couple days and then she came back a couple days later and she was like, you know, Kyle, I've had so many tears. My heart is crushed. But on our wedding day, we made a commitment to each other that for better or for worse, we would be united. And I choose to forgive you even though you've been unfaithful. What kind of husband would I be if I said, you forgive me? Sweet, I'm gonna keep on being unfaithful. I would be a husband who doesn't understand that I just broke my wife's heart. I would be a husband who doesn't understand the costliness of forgiveness. Isn't that why, isn't that why we don't like to forgive? Because it hurts, right? Well, it hurt God too. And God didn't just shed tears. He took on human flesh. He lived in our place. He, he lived a perfect life. And though he was innocent, he allowed himself to be condemned as guilty so that guilty sinners could go free. The Bible says that he was led away like a lamb to the slaughter. Psalm 22 says that when he was hung up on a cross, which by the way, he created that wood with his own hands. And he was nailed there by his own creation who he had guided to make sure that they stayed alive up until that point. He was nailed to that tree. Psalm 22 says that his shoulders were ripped out of socket. He was encircled by a bunch of mockers like bulls and wolves. His own creation. And as he hung there, he hung there not for his sins, but for yours and for mine and for anybody who would believe in him. And what he was doing as he was hanging there, he wasn't just experiencing human uh, Rejection. He was experiencing the rejection of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. The Psalms say that the wrath of God was poured on him so much that he drank the wrath of God for his people down to its dregs. You know what dregs are? Homebrewers know what dregs are. When you make beer, there's a bunch of stuff at the bottom. That's, that's at the bottom of your beer. So when you drink it, when you drink it down to the dregs, you drink it all the way down to the bottom. And what this is, is this, is when Jesus died on the cross, he drank the wrath of God on your behalf down to the bottom so there's no more left for you. That even if God wanted to say, I'm pouring wrath out on you, he can't because it was already poured on Jesus. 
That's why on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he also cried out, it is finished or paid in full. He made a great payment so that we could be forgiven. And so anybody who says, oh, sweet, Jesus died for my sins, I'm forgiven. You don't understand the nature of the cross. And we may need to ask ourselves this hard question. Am I really a Christian at all? Am I really a Christian at all? Um, The second thing that Paul, I think, is trying to bring up in this analogy of baptizing to death is he's trying to bring up this understanding of finality of death. Like, when something dies, I don't know if you knew this, it ain't coming back. It gone. It's dead. There's a finality to it, right? And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that when Jesus died, he put our sinful self to death. It's gone. It ain't coming back. And it's really morbid and weird and dumb to treat something that's dead as if it's still alive. Reminds me of my favorite theological movie, Dumb and Dumber. In the movie Dumb and Dumber, at the beginning of the movie, there's these two characters, Harry and Lloyd, and they're trying to make some extra cash. And so Lloyd sells Harry's bird, Petey. The only problem with this is Petey had been decapitated. It it didn't have a head. And so when Harry finds out that Lloyd sold his bird, he said, Lloyd, uh, Petey didn't even have a head. And Lloyd responds, Harry, I took care of it. He taped the head back on and he sold it to a child. That's morbid, right? It was a, yeah, it's morbid. It's sick, it's twisted. But here's the deal, you guys. As Christians, if you're a Christian, that's what we do every time we choose to remain in disobedience and sin. We're taking something that's been put to death, our sinful self, and we're treating it as if we wished it was alive. And by the way, to wish that your sinful self was alive is to wish that God is dead. But the opposite is true. God is alive and well. He's sitting on his throne doing all that he pleases. And when he died on the cross, he put our sinful selves to death. And so this question is is meant really to get us to ask ourselves, where in my life am I living as if I wished I was still alive to sin? And I ask you that question for reflection right now. And do you notice here, by the way, that Paul doesn't go off on a list of sins? Did you notice that? He just mentions it in a broad sense. I think he does that because sin comes in many different forms. And we all have our own sin battle. And so the question for you is this, where in your life are you living as if you wished you were still alive to sin? You need to turn from that right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us of these things in our heart that we might be blind to so that we can turn from them right now. Because our Lord paid to put that person to death. This is why the cross is the logo of Christianity. It's, it's because it's supposed to remind us of the payment that God made. This is why every week we take communion because it's, it's a reminder of what God went through so that we could be forgiven. But we're not only supposed to think about the death of Jesus, are we, church? I mean, if you notice, Protestant crosses have no Jesus on them because he's not dead anymore, he's alive. He went into the grave and he resurrected three days later. And that's what Paul gets into this next section. So as much as we're supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin, we're also supposed to consider ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. So look at the next part of verse four. So it says, 
we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Paul says that Jesus didn't only die, he resurrected. Hallelujah. He resurrected. He's alive. Now, if we come to the Bible and we say, I, I know that this brings up a lot of objections, doesn't it? That can't be. Jesus, he was just a good example in wor- to the world. He couldn't have just resurrected. But we need to remember that the Christian teaching is that Jesus is not only fully man, but he's also fully God. And uh, as a man, of course, you're like, well, that's impossible. But as God, nothing's impossible. If God can create all things out of nothing, he can certainly resurrect himself from the dead. And so that is the Christian teaching. And, and I would like to just also say this explains in history why the, the teachings of Christ and the following of Christ exploded and is still exploded all over the world. It's, 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 it's expanding everywhere. Why is that? Well, it's because he resurrected. Every one of Jesus' disciples they abandoned him on the night that he was betrayed to be killed. But then shortly after, a few weeks after, they all were willing to die and be tortured to to testify that Jesus is alive. The only explanation to that is that he really is. I'm even, even terrorist leaders know that when the main leader gets killed, it's not time to start a movement. It's time to go into hiding. Well, when Jesus was killed, the movement got started and, and, and the testimony of the movement was that he was alive. So the only explanation is that Jesus really did the impossible. He broke through and did what we couldn't do. And as God, he had every power to do that. And, and so that's what he did. And so what Paul is saying here, in as much as he died to sin, he resurrected over death. He ain't dead no more. That's, I think, my, my Easter sermon for this year. Point one, he. Point two, ain't dead. Point three, no mo. He ain't dead no mo. And guess what it means for you? If you're in Christ Jesus, you ain't dead no mo either. You're alive to God. You are in Christ. That's what Paul is trying to say. You are alive to God. Look at verse six and seven. He says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul says what it means to be alive to God is you're now set free from the bondage and slavery of sin. That's great news. Like bondage, it no longer controls your life. Those desires that are opposed to God no longer control your life. You're set free from that bondage. Um, The devil will try to tell us that life apart from God is freedom, right? But that's not true. Life apart from God is not freedom because we have ourselves to deal with. (laughs) Life apart from God is slavery. It's very common for us to think, oh, you know, I, I just have to, I have my own free will. Nobody has free will because our wills are bound to our desires. And apart from God, guess what? Our desires enslave us. Isn't it true that we are all, apart from God, we're bound by our selfishness, our lust, 
our covetousness, our greed, our desire for comfort, our desire for power, our fear, our insecurities. They control us and cause us to, to do the things a lot of times that we would never imagine ourselves doing. Why? Because we're bound to them. We're in bondage to them. They have power over us. But when you become a Christian, those chains are broken. And so it's really silly to continue in your sin because you're like saying to God, hey God, can you put the chains back on? I want to continue living like a slave. And God's like, what? I set you free. You don't want to live like a slave. So it means to be alive to God means you're set free from the bondage. And that's what has happened. Now Paul turns his attention to what will happen. Look at verse eight and nine. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Paul For most of this passage, he's getting us to look back at what Jesus has done, but now he gets us to look forward at what Jesus is going to do in the future. So in the past, what he's done is he's set us free from the bondage and power of sin. But in the future, what's he going to do? He's going to return. So at the end of history, Jesus is going to return. And just as he was resurrected to life with God everlasting, all those who believe in him will be resurrected to life with God everlasting. That is what the Bible calls heaven. Now, a lot of times we see shows and we think heaven is like this place where you float around in a diaper and play a harp and like you're in the clouds. That's not the ultimate biblical, that's not a biblical picture of what heaven is. A biblical picture of what heaven is, is God as king coming down to this earth, resurrecting all things, making all things new, getting rid of all sin so that we could live with God in bodies forever. So that you can go, you don't have to, we can talk to God right now, but you can just go up to God face to face then when we're in heaven. That's where I'll be. I'll just be like, hey, Jesus. I'll be like his, you know, little entourage, just following him around. You can go fishing with Jesus. Ladies, you can go shopping with Jesus. You know, he loves fashion. Like there will be a day when Jesus returns where we will bodily be with Jesus in a renewed heaven and renewed earth. Amen, church? That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the Christian teaching of what true heaven is. And because of this, Jesus, when he conquered death, death no longer had dominion over him. And so what it means for us is if you believe in Jesus, death no longer has dominion over you. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death. And not just physical death, but also spiritual death. The greatest longing of the human soul is to know that we belong to the creator of the universe. That's the greatest longing of the human soul. Death is to be separated from the giver of life and the creator of the universe. But as Christians, we don't have to fear death because we know that once we pass, we go from life to life. We go straight into his presence. So when things like cancer hit, when things like tragedies hit, as Christians, we don't have to fear because we're just, we know we're going to truly a better life, a better life. That's why the New Testament calls Christians who die. It doesn't say that they die. It says that they fell asleep because you just pass through death and then you're, you wake up again alive to God. Death no longer has dominion over us. It no longer has dominion over us. We're alive to God. And in verse 10 and 11, it says being alive to God means that we need to live to God just like Jesus did and does. Look at uh, verse 10. It says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Well, what is Jesus doing now in his resurrected life? He's living for the glory of God. And those who believe in Jesus are united to Jesus so that we too now are called to live to the glory of God. We live to God. We are alive to God. Now, this is, first of all, a statement of direction. Um, We're to God. St. Augustine used to describe sin as not as much actions as it is uh, turning away from God, turning your back on from God. It's a direction. So um, to live a life to God means you're walking this way, and now as a Christian you say, you know what? I want to face my God. I want to honor my God. I'm going to live my life going in his direction. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's also a statement of purpose. Before you are a Christian, before you worship God, you're living for a lot of purposes that won't last. We live for the purpose of ourself, the purpose of our comfort. We live for ultimately exalting ourselves, but now when we become a Christian, we live for exalting God. And that changes everything, doesn't it? The gospel of Jesus isn't just something we come and we hear on Sunday. It changes every aspect of our lives. It changes uh, how we approach our work. It changes how we uh, love our spouse. It changes how we love and serve difficult people. You got difficult people in your life? Well, the gospel says that Jesus came and served us. And so what it models for us is that we too serve difficult people. It changes how we care for the poor, how we look out for the outsider. It changes everything that we do because now we have purpose. And this isn't, isn't this what you're longing for? Many of us, we feel like robots. I just get up, go to work, go home, eat, go to sleep, get up, go to work, go home. Go to, like we feel like robots, but that's not true in Christ. You're not a robot. In Christ, you don't even have to just live for the weekends. In Christ, every breath you take matters to God. Every breath you take is an opportunity to worship him. And so that's what it means to be alive to God. It's a statement of purpose. And lastly, it's a statement of relationship. The God of the universe loves you, wants you, and likes you. That's why he sent Jesus, because he actually cares about you. He actually wants to be in connection with you. And to live a life to God means that everything in your life you're approaching is like, wow, I get to be in relationship with God. And so that's what living a life to God really means. And it begs for us the question this, where in my life have I slipped back into living as if God were dead? Where in my life have I slipped back into living as if God were dead or as if I wish God were dead? When God is dead to us, we can't hear him. We can't see his beauty We don't really care. We never talk to him. We're owned by our sins. But in Christ Jesus, that's not who we are. In Christ Jesus, we're not dead to God and God's not dead to us. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so that's why Paul says, you need to preach to yourself. You need to consider yourself alive to God. And so what does that look like? Well, he gives us three things to do in this next little paragraph. The first thing is in verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. He says, let not sin reign. As Christians, we say Jesus is what? He's Lord. That's a statement of reigning authority. He's the Lord of our life. He's the king of my life. He's sitting on the throne of my heart. He's my Lord. And Paul says, if you're alive to God, 
then don't let sin sit on the throne of your heart. Let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart. And by the way, Christians, there's many people in this room who aren't Christians and they're investigating God and they're watching your life. Uh, D.L. Moody, the great preacher said, many, some people will read a Bible, but most people will read the Christian. And they're watching your life. And if you're telling them, you need a new Lord and you need a new savior, are your actions professing that that Lord is actually good? Are your actions professing that he is actually the Lord of your life? I have a friend that I've been building a relationship with and I was talking with him. He's a very popular musician in town. And he said, you know what, Kyle? I cannot be a Christian because I have guys who are Christians on, in my band and they claim that Jesus is Lord. But then every time we go play a show, they go and commit adultery on their wives. And he's like, I don't wanna worship a Lord like that. And so this is a call for us as Christians to realize who is my Lord? Your actions profess who your Lord is. Your actions profess who your Lord is. Um, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Um, it, Paul is basically saying this. You need a reality check, bro, sister. You need a reality check. You need to put into action what is spiritually true about you in Christ Jesus. A lot of us say, well, I got this sin. I can't defeat it. You're giving that sin way too much credit. You are dead to sin. When I was a little kid, I had a suck in the thumb problem. Anybody else? It's not a sin to suck your thumb, but the dentist believe it is, okay? <laughs> and my dentist, the only way he got me to stop sucking my thumb is he took me into a back room and he measured my thumb and then he measured me and he said, Kyle, who's bigger, you or your thumb? And I said, I am. And he said, that's right. Next time you want to suck your thumb, you tell that thumb you are bigger than, that th than he is. You don't have to do this. You got to take charge. Well, Paul is saying, listen, you are dead to sin. Next time sin tries to tempt you, you look at it in its eye and you say, I'm dead to you. You have no place in my life. I don't need you. That's not who I am anymore. I've told the story of St. Augustine several times here, uh, but he used to be a ladies man. He loved sleeping with all these different ladies. But then he became a Christian and he started to walk in a direction that was toward God. And one time, one of his mistresses came running after him and she started chasing him, Augustine. And he just, he just saw her and the only thing he could do, he was too weak, so he just turned and ran the other direction. <laughs> and she started saying, Augustine, it is I. Augustine, it is I. And the only thing he could do was turn around and say, but it is not I. That's not who I am anymore. That person, that me who used to love to do that stuff got crucified on the cross. Now I'm a new person. I'm alive to God. And Christian, this is what you need to do. So what is the sin that you're still entertaining in your life? You need to look at it and say, that's not me anymore. And you need to think about the cross. What would happen if right before you engaged in that sin, you started thinking about the cross? What would happen if right in the middle of that sin, you started thinking about the cross? I bet you'd see the power of that sin start to diminish. It'd be decapitated. Okay, so that's the first thing we need to do. Let not sin reign your mortal body. Second thing we need to do, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Um, your members. That's kind of a weird phrase, right? Like, what's my members? My members. It, it's, it's an illustrative way to say my whole being. Don't present your body, your eyes, your mind, your heart, your emotion, your giftings, your talents. Don't present any part of yourself to be 
to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Okay, so think about an instrument here for a moment. Think about these drums, okay? Drums can make a beautiful noise, amen? They can also make a horrible noise, amen? (laughs) It all depends on who's playing. And so Paul is saying, don't present your being to the person, to sin. Don't present your, your being to the musician of sin because he's only gonna use it to spread unrighteousness in this world, what is not good. Rather, he says, the third thing that he calls us to do is present yourself to God and present your members, your entire being to God so that he can make a beautiful sound in the world, so that he could spread his beauty and his goodness. That's what he says. So that's what we need to do right now. We need to present ourselves to God, and that's my invitation to you. I already had you think about what sin that you're entertaining. Now you need to say, God, I'm giving myself to you. I'm presenting my whole being to you. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. It's like when you present yourself at a new job, you go to the boss and you say, I'm here. What can I do for work? That's what Christians are called to do for God. And listen, those are the two things we want to be known for as living stones. We want to be known for people who present ourselves to God and are thankful for what he's done, right? And then we also want to be known for people who are spreading righteousness in this world. Let's go down doing that. Let's not go down as the people who have the title of Christian but live spreading unrighteousness in the world. Let's go down being the people who are known for presenting ourselves to God and spreading righteousness and beauty in this world. That's what we're called to do. And lastly, in verse 14, Paul says, where we get the power to do it. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The law is the laws of God. And what the laws of God do is they point out our failures, don't they? They point out where we mess up, where we screw up. But Paul says, guess what? Where the law points out where you screw up, grace points out where God has covered your sins. Because grace is God's gift towards us that is not earned by us. Where the law tells us we need to try harder, grace tells us you're already beloved. Where the law says you are condemned, grace says you're a child of God. And we remember that we're children of God We'll want to start, and we, did, and we remember that we're children of God, not based on anything we did, but based on everything God did. Then we'll want to start to live in his household in a way that will honor him, in a way that will delight in him. And so that's where we get to the power, the power to do it. So the charge for you is this. If you're a Christian, consider yourself dead to sin. Stop entertaining something that God put to death. And now live a life active to God. He's beautiful and amazing and brilliant. Give yourself to him. And if you're not a Christian, consider these things. Consider how you may be still enslaved to your own selfishness and how that will never go away. What you need is a savior and Jesus is that savior. So accept what he's done for you and give yourself to him. And may we together present ourselves to God as people who've been brought from death to life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done. Words could never capture how glad we are because of the resurrection. And I pray that you would help us to live this out as your people and help us to be people who don't use your forgiveness as a license to sin, but people who use the forgiveness that you offer 
as a motivation to live lives that honor you because honoring you is a good and beautiful thing. And that's where we find joy. So give us this grace in your great name we pray.